Hello and welcome to another episode of the Under the Dome podcast. I am your regular host, Ben Belden. It's been a long time since we've recorded one of these Under the Domers. Real life happens. I get busy. You know what I'm saying? So here we are. We're going to record a uh, kind of a brief sort of overview of where we're at. Uh, It's been a little over a week since Notre Dame triumphed in South Bend over the Trojans of Southern California. I was present. It was great. Um, There are Obviously, a lot of, I mean, we could probably spend hours and hours parsing through the many opinions on how that game played out. I'm sure we'll touch on some of that. And then, obviously, we're looking ahead to a big game against and at Michigan in prime time this weekend and a lot of other things in between. So, um, also, we're going to talk some college football playoff. We're going to talk some all of that stuff. But I say that, and I'm going to actually do what I did, I think, on the last podcast that we recorded at the Under the Dome podcast, and that's kind of defer to... Um, Nathan for this one. So I've got Nathan on the line along with Mason Plummer. It's the usual three back in the saddle again. And with that, I'm going to kick it off or I'm going to uh, hand it off, I guess, is the more appropriate uh, metaphor to Nathan to kind of guide our discussion. Nathan, what's up, man? I'm good, Ben. How are you guys? I'm doing really well. I'm, uh, you know, today was a typical Monday, but here I am recording a podcast, so it's all good. So, Mason, how's it going with you? I'm doing well, guys. Excited to be back on the pod. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with you guys. Obviously, um, you know, you guys know kind of the stuff I've been going through here the last few days. So it's good to kind of get on the pod and just kind of take my mind off some things and different things like that and talk talk some Notre Dame football. which uh, I think we can all agree is one of our uh, one of our favorite subjects. So, um, with that said, um, I think I, I kind of ran over what we uh, what I wanted to kind of discuss with you guys today, and uh, I think Ben specifically knows how much I've been bothering him the last couple weeks on trying to get on <laughs> get on the podcast, and obviously Mason does as well because he's. I think we have a group, a little group message together. Um, I've seen a lot of negative talk on, um, uh, on Notre Dame football, which kind of surprises me. Um, I mean, I know they're not undefeated like they were last year. So like there was obviously still a lot of hope in regards to maybe a college football playoff and a national championship bid, um, at this point last season. Um, but with the only loss being, um, a road loss to Georgia, um, and, uh, and, and at night, I should add, because I think uh, the night road games mean a little bit more than uh, than games that are played like at 9 a.m. my time. I know you guys are it's probably like a noon a noon start time for you guys for most of the games, but I wake up in the morning and it's a 9 a.m. start time, and to me that just doesn't feel like like a game day atmosphere. But um, but no, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, USC. Um, and the victory there, uh, like I said, hear a lot of negative talk about how it was only a three-point victory and so on and so forth. So I, we'll start with Ben here for a second. But what, what were your overall thoughts on that on that game and kind of like maybe Notre Dame coming out of that game? Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, I thought that it was an interesting game. And, you know, I always – this was a game that I got to be – it was the only game I'm probably going to see in the stadium for, for Notre Dame this, this entire season. But – um, I don't know. There were a lot of takeaways, I think, just to kind of narrow it down to a few. I thought Notre Dame's defensive game plan was interesting. They kind of went with the, uh, I don't know, the three deep safeties on, you know, a, a very, very high percentage of their looks on defense, and uh, which was interesting. And, I, I, you know, I think that a lot of people were upset with the way that the defense kind of 
didn't close the deal there at the end, but at the same time, I think, you know, they were kind of just trying to keep a lot in front of them and they were a little bit less aggressive than they have been in other games. And I tweeted this after the game that, you know, my biggest takeaway was simply that, you know, Notre Dame played against a team with a lot of talent, a rivalry game. Uh, They shut that rival down for a whole half and then in the end, when they needed their offense to come up with a big drive, you know, their offense went on a big drive whenever USC cut the cut the lead to three and took like seven minutes off the clock and went down and scored a touchdown. And so, I mean, really, what more could you ask for? I mean, I guess I, I mean, I, I guess you want Notre Dame to put them away when you get up 20 to six. But at the same time, I mean, did we really think that USC in a. Uh, in a rivalry game with perhaps Clay Helton coaching for his life. Uh, did we really think they were going to go away? I didn't particularly. And so, you know, I was relatively happy with the win. Mason, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it. I think rivalry games are always different. And my main point has been that people who don't follow recruiting, you know, they, they maybe see the three-star by Kadon Slovis's name and think, oh, this guy is no good. Kadon Slovis is for real, and he proved that in South Bend. He proved that just with his composure as a true freshman coming into South Bend and giving Notre Dame just about all they could handle. And as I was saying, you know, rivalry games are different. And not that I really – as I was watching, I didn't really think USC had a chance to win at any point. I was never unconfident that Notre Dame was going to lose or anything. But, um, but yeah, it, it was a matter of when and not if those USC wide receivers were going to get theirs, and they sure did. And, you know, it's a very talented team, no matter what you have to say about Clay Helton. Um, he might not be the answer there, but they they still recruited at a very high level. And, um, yeah, that's a very good USC team, no matter whether the record shows that or not. They have the talent to be good, and they're still recruiting at an insane level. Yeah, no, I think I echo both of your thoughts. Um, I, I tweeted something after the game as well that, you know, you should be, we should be really happy um, that they simply won the game. Not not necessarily because, um, I mean, obviously it was a home game and USC is down, um, but it is a rivalry game. Like Mason said, USC still has probably like top 10 level talent when it come, when you really look at their, like their star talent um, from top to bottom on their roster. Um, they're still hurting a little bit from some of the sanctions they had where, you know, they, they didn't have as many scholarship athletes um, for a few years. Um, but no, I mean, I thought it was going to be a tough matchup just based off of their, their three wide receivers that they have. Um, obviously we all know about Amon Ross St. Brown with, uh, Equinemia St. Brown being his brother. Um, but you know, Pitt, Pittman and Bonds are, I mean, as good as it gets in college football outside of maybe the Alabama and Clemson wide receivers. And, uh, I, they were going to give Notre Dame fits. And I think, I think I, I give Clark Lee some credit for the game plan he had. I mean, I think Hamilton, um, Elliott, Gilman, Pride, Bracey were out there pretty much the entire game. It was it was really like a five DB set for like they, almost like they were playing like a nickel and dime package the entire game, and he kind of made them work for their yardage. Um, at the end of the game, I thought they obviously were able to score a little bit quicker than I wanted them to, um, and it made the game close, um, but. And maybe cl- too close to the fact that when it was seventeen to three at half, you know, we I think we all were like, okay, this game's over. Um, but kind of tr- transitioning into that, I also tweeted something out recently um, about how if I should be, if I should be um, thinking that USC was a 
or so like I, I, let me rephrase this. I don't have the tweet in front of me, so I wish I did. But essentially, I, I, I was more afraid of, of USC than I was of Michigan. And for a lot of the reasons, it was the matchup. It's not saying that USC was a better, it's a better team than Michigan. I think Michigan overall is, you know, right now, like not necessarily from a talent perspective, but just in general, they're, they're a better coach team. You know, they're a ranked team. They, they've beaten some good teams throughout the last couple of years, and USC for the most part hasn't. Is it weird that I think that, or that I would be more upset with Notre Dame losing to Michigan than if they were to have lost to USC um, last Saturday? Um, that's kind of what I want to. That's kind of what I'm asking you guys, I guess. Um, I think that. Uh, well, I th- to echo what Mason said, I think that Slovis kid. I, I was really impressed with him. To be honest with you, and I've been impressed with him in the and what I've watched. You know, even on TV when I've gotten to catch a little bit of uh, USC's games. So. I mean, that kid was slinging the ball all over the place and, you know, didn't make really any big mistakes. And so, um, I don't know. I, I So, to build off of that a little bit, when you've got a quarterback like that and you've got receivers like USC does, I mean, you always are, you're always going to have a chance, right? And uh, I don't know. And obviously, uh, Marquis Stepp was running the ball pretty hard for uh, for USC. That hurt a little bit. Um, rubbed salt in the wounds just a little, but, um, I don't know. I, I thought, you know, USC did, like you said, Nathan, I think present some matchup problems and, you know, I, I'm perfectly fine with the way it played out. Like, and I, you know, your point too, I think they scored a little bit too quickly right there at the end, especially, um, that was the part that was like the one thing at the end of the game. I think that, uh, that I was sort of apprehensive about, but you could kind of feel in the stadium a little bit that when USC cut it to 23 to 20, I mean, you could kind of feel like, you know, uh, I at least felt like people were starting to tighten up a little bit. And so, I don't know. Uh, it, like I say, overall, I was just happy that they that the offense was able to put a drive together when they needed it most to, to go put it away. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just think I think USC was a big win, a, a really good win over against a, a really talented program. So I don't think that you are uh, up, you know, wrong for your feelings there. Go ahead, Mason. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, when anytime a team's biggest strength being USC's wide receivers is another team's biggest weakness, you know that matchup being Notre Dame's. What I mean, you could debate their secondary is the biggest weakness, but I think it is their biggest weakness on defense. And uh, when when that strength is going in USC's favor, anything can happen. And yeah, I think you should be happy with the win. And the win, I mean, this is debatable too, and depending on your 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 philosophy of winning and everything but it looks the same in the record book in my opinion you know whether whether you win by 30 or you win by three it's a win over usc and a third in a row so there's something to be said for that yeah no i mean i i obviously i agree with what i said I, it's more of like echoing or more of like trying to kind of get confirmation on my thoughts um kind of going off of that um, like I said, obviously Michigan's talented. They, they play much better at home, like everybody does. I think they're twenty-eight and four um, with Harbaugh at home. Um, I'm sure some of those losses are obviously to Ohio State. Um, so when you think about it from that perspective, it's even a be- it's kind of even like a better home record. They they pretty much beat everybody besides Ohio State at home. Um, but this year, I feel like this team just feels different. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've watched a lot of the Michigan games. I'm not I'm not a Michigan hater like a lot of Notre Dame fans seem to be. I, I think it's from you know me being from the West Coast. I've always been more kind of like okay, USC is the big rival. 
Um, you know, and then obviously growing up with Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, Navy, like I didn't really view them at like a higher level from a rivalry standpoint than those other teams. Um, you can throw Stanford in there now in recent years. So I don't maybe have the hatred level that I don't, I, I know you guys are, you know, from the Midwest, so maybe you do. Um, but th- this Michigan team just seems weird to me. I think Shea Patterson is kind of the opposite of Slovis. Um, you know, for as highly ranked that Patterson was, he he bails from the pocket more quickly than like we get on book from bailing from the pocket. Um, he doesn't seem to have a bunch of confidence. I know he played pretty well in the second half of of the uh, Penn State game, and you know, a lot of people gave him credit for that. Um, but I don't think Michigan's offense really works for their receivers because I do think they have good receivers, but it doesn't seem they doesn't seem like they do a good job to get the ball into those guys' hands. Um, I, and I think their offensive line is probably better than, um, than how it's performed, but I also think that might be a scheme issue as well. So um, I don't see how Michigan's going to score points against Notre Dame. I really don't, unless they, they show something they haven't done all year or Notre Dame beats themselves. Um, but like I said earlier, like I know I'm kind of rambling right now, but they're 28 and four at home. It's a night game. It's a rivalry game. Um, what part of that scares you, or or do you, are you guys pretty confident going into this game? Um, and we can start with Mason uh, on this one. I feel fairly confident. I don't understand the line. Um, the line being in Michigan's favor. I know they're at home and they're going to be up for this game almost more so. Than they, I mean, than they would be if Penn State stomped them. So, um, you know, the crowd's gonna be raucous or whatever. But <clears throat> and Michigan is very good at home. And um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly worried. I, this is definitely the game that concerns me most remaining on the schedule. But there, that is a lot, a lot to be said when the other, the other game is, uh, you know, the second is like Duke. So um, yeah, there's a little bit of reason to be worried unless Gaddis completely switches his offensive coordinator scheme, you know, um, he seems to be running what he wants to do rather than what works for the team. And they do have a very talented trio of wide receivers. So it just depends on if they give him the ball, I guess. Um, I'm not super worried. I don't, yeah. Like, uh, Teco, what you said, I don't think they can score points. I think it'll be a question of how many points Notre Dame can score. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a low scoring game overall and Notre Dame will prevail with a strong fourth quarter from the defense. Yeah, I was, uh, to echo that, really, like, I was at a wedding this weekend, <clears throat> which was very nicely placed by my cousin Corey, by the way. I mean, it was great to have a wedding on a Notre Dame bye week, so I didn't get to give him a, a high five for that one, but he listens to the podcast, so shout out to that. But um, I don't know. I think that I, I said, to, I can't even remember who I was talking to, but I was talking about Notre Dame, and I said, well, I think Notre Dame's going to win, but it could end up being like a 14-10 to 10 type of a game because I think both defenses are going to be um, I don't know, it has a little bit of advantage over both of the offenses. Now, I don't think it's a decided advantage. I think that, you know, Notre Dame will be able to do things that Michigan, you know, to, to move the ball against Michigan and, and vice versa. Um, I don't know. I, to your point, Nathan, as I was kind of thinking about it, and I didn't look this up, but if they're 28-4 at home, that says to me they lost to Ohio State three times and then they lost that game to uh, Michigan State with the, the, the punt screw up at the end. Um, so I, that, those are probably the only, only four games that they lost, but, um, I don't know. I think when you get into, I mean, this is a rivalry game. It, it's interesting for me because I grew up in Ohio state country. I still live in Ohio state country. So like 
kind of to a certain degree. I have rooted for Michigan before when they played Ohio State. Um, I don't know. So in recent years, that's kind of flip flopped a little bit. I can almost, you know, I can almost tolerate Ohio State more than Michigan these days. I think, but I don't know. I I think that uh, you know something about playing at Michigan on the road under the lights has me a little worried for some reason or another. Um, I don't know. And I was at Notre Dame, Michigan, the last time they played at Michigan under the lights. And I remember how that went. So if anything, it's just kind of, um, what's happened there before. I mean, there's been a couple of really exciting games in that stadium that didn't go Notre Dame's way. And so, you know, if Michigan's able to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and, and find some things on offense, like Notre Dame could be in trouble. I just don't know about the likelihood of that, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, I don't even really know how to describe this game. Like, part of me wants to be really, really confident because I just think Notre Dame's a better football team um, and maybe even significantly better to a certain extent. But the other part of me is kind of like what you said. I mean, it's 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 a night game on the road. It's a rivalry game. It, that that right there, just like it should scare you automatically. Almost, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. Um, but um, so I keep kind of flip flopping back and forth. Like Michigan's twenty eight and four. Like you said, like the four losses, three of them are to Ohio State, and one is a really tough blow against Michigan State. And then on the other hand, I think they're one and nine under Harbaugh. Um, against top 10 teams, which Notre Dame is. So it's like everything sort of points to Notre Dame probably winning a close game. But then, you know, you see Michigan favored. I, I don't know. I think it's just a weird a weird game. Um, I tried something a little bit uh, different uh, before we hopped on, and I, I asked it very, very late on Twitter. I'm sure you guys both saw it. But I got one question um for the podcast and it kind of relates to what we've been talking about so i figured i'd ask so uh, thomas walsh um he's actually uh, me me and him kind of tweet back and forth here and there so uh thanks thomas for for the follow but uh he he asked in in our opinion what is the key uh the key for notre dame victory this weekend and i will start with ben this time I just think you got to do what you ended up doing at the end of the USC game to to really kind of ice that game away, which was rely on your running game a little bit. I mean, I, by no means was Notre Dame absolutely just, you know, running the ball down USC's throat, but it really sort of seemed like, you know, on that last drive, they were like, okay, like we've kind of gotten cute and we've thrown some passes and it hasn't worked. Let's just go back to sort of some old school football. And that's what they did. I mean, they, they put that drive together. I don't remember how many plays it was, but it was, like I say, up there, you know, six, seven minutes. And, you know, if you can do that against Michigan, then that's that's going to be the recipe to win. Now, I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to just dominate on the ground. That's not really what I'm saying. So I don't know if I'm saying this real well, but they need to be balanced. And I've been saying that all year. Like, balance is the key for Notre Dame. And it just sort of seems like when Notre Dame's offense gets in trouble, well, it's because, you know, they've, <clears throat> I don't know, they, they've gotten too cute or they've taken a sack or they've, you know, um, you know, run a, run a tricky pass play or they've run a one read pass that the defense is sitting on or something like that. And then they get behind the sticks. And so if Notre Dame's able to get any semblance of a run game, um, like they were completely unable to do against, you know, Georgia, which was like, you know, obviously the, the most recent, uh, big game under the lights, uh, away from South Bend, um, you know they gave up on the on the run game against Georgia, in my opinion, and I, I just don't think that they can do that against against a defense that's, I mean, probably not the best defense that they will face all year, but also pretty darn good. So 
I don't know. Balance is the name of the game to me. It still remains to the the name of the game for me. So um, finding that balance is, is going to be important in my opinion. Go ahead, Mason. Yeah, so just for the sake of being different, I was going to say establishing the run game, but I think it's really important to not beat yourself. <clears throat> Notre Dame did that pretty well at Georgia, another tough road game that you guys mentioned. Um, you can't beat yourself. You can't turn the ball over. You can't allow, just for example, like them to take back the opening kick and let all 105 in the thousand in the big house get going. You can't let that happen. So um, just, just being sound with the ball, Notre Dame doesn't fumble the ball very often, you know, knock on wood. Ian Book's been decent with the ball. You know, he's not throwing too many interceptions. So, um, yeah, just being smart with the ball overall, as well as establishing the run, I think, and just imposing your will on that on both sides of the ball, and I think Notre Dame handles this one. I mean, I think you guys pretty much said what I what I was going to say. I mean, right, obviously, you want to run the ball to win. I mean, I'm a Bears fan right now, and they ran the ball five times yesterday, and I think that proved a big part of why they didn't win and why they. Yeah, had I'm a David Montgomery yeah. owner, so it's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, I think we all I think we all know, like in football, you have to you have to have some sort of balance, um, and then obviously, um, you know, that it, I've been saying this. I think I've said it already a couple times on the podcast, but not beating yourself. So like Mike Mason, like not turning the ball over, um, you know, not allowing not allowing a crap ton of points um, from you know on 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 defense. Like Michigan hasn't been a team that's scoring a lot this year when they play a good team. And Notre Dame, I think right now leads the country in most consecutive times of not allowing 30 points. Um, so I guess the way I would say it is just be yourself. I think Notre Dame's the better team. I know it's a road game, but if they go in there and they play the game that they're supposed to play, um, and, and for the most part that they've played this season, they, they should come out with a victory. So I think it's pretty much that simple. Um, switching gears here, I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about USC and, and Michigan now. Um, so we're at the halfway point. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about this last week, but unfortunately we couldn't really get on the podcast. Um, Sorry. You know, but, but no, 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 trust me, at the end Some of the week, tweet. it wouldn't it wouldn't have been just your fault at the end of the week. So it doesn't really matter in that regard. Um, but I think I have, I have an article coming out probably tomorrow morning. Um, and we did, a, we did a preseason one for it as well as like the, the superlatives. I should, I can't even say the word. Um, hard, man. Right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, pretty much the, like we did our preseason awards, um, like our pre- award predictions for, for players. And now we kind of have our mid season awards where we've seen, we've seen guys do, you know, different things and we've come up with, you know, with whatever. So I'm going to ask you guys, I know it's not going to give too much of the article away because I don't think Ben's actually involved in the mid season article and my, me and Mason, I think have some separate viewpoints on a few of them. All right. So, Mason, uh, the team MVP? should I stick with what I said in the article? Yeah. Yeah. Go exactly what you said in the article. All right, so Tony Jones Jr., and if I, you know, if you were saying the team MVP to week seven before the season was Tony Jones Jr., you would say Notre Dame is probably like a 500 team. Um, But, yeah, Tony Jones Jr. has been amazing and way better than any of us thought he would be. Um, As the backup running back to Jafar Armstrong, Jafar Armstrong's played in a total of, what, like three series on the season, the one against Louisville and, came in for spurts against USC and glad to see he's back full healthy, which may take away from Jones effectiveness, but he's been awesome for Notre Dame so far this season and doing everything you, you can ask him to do, even when they were down to two healthy running backs. 
not counting guys like Nick Asaf that don't necessarily affect the game script. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Jones is he he runs through the tackles. He has somewhat of breakaway speed, and he's just been doing what he's asked to do as well as in pre- pass protection, which is something that's underrated and not. I don't think it's noticed by a lot of fans because they're always following the ball, but. He, he's way better in pass protection than any other Notre Dame running back is at the moment. And, um, yeah, so Tony Jones Jr. for me. What about you? Well, so I don't know if Ben's back yet, but my my, my guy, um, and I'll be honest, he did not win the vote um, for the nine people that ended up voting on this. Um, I don't want to get it this way. I want people to go read the article tomorrow morning. But um, I picked Cole Komet. And my reasoning behind it is, I mean, obviously he missed the first couple games, so a lot of people kind of maybe eliminate him from that um, discussion right away. And I know Book hasn't been the same player that a lot of us thought he was going to be and so on and so forth, but I just think the offense evolved to a a level that we weren't going to see if we didn't have a Cole Komet when he came back. Um, For for all intent and purposes, I think he's the best tight end Notre Dame's had since Tyler Eifert. Um, he's on pace from at least from a 12 game perspective, I think, to break some of those you know Notre Dame tight end records. And they're running they're running the offense essentially through him and through Tony Jones with the way he's been playing. Um, so, like I said, I don't want to give too much away. I think Tony Jones ended up winning, uh, winning it for us um, as a group, um, and deservingly so. I think he has, um, you know, four 100-yard games and three in a row, and two of them are against pretty damn good football teams. Um, but my the guy I personally voted for was uh, was Cole Komet. So if, if Ben is back back on, then we can uh, we can ask his opinion. I am. I had to take care of a little uh, rocket situation, uh, but I gave him one of his like chew sticks, so he should be quiet for the rest of the podcast. But uh, uh, I don't know who'd Mason say. Tony Jones. Yeah, I I mean, when you said that, I as I started to kind of rack my brain, Tony Jones was the first guy that I thought of. I think um, you know, I, I think he's been the mo- the guy I've been most impressed with. It's hard for me to name him as the MVP just because I don't know. I, I don't I mean, I think the run game was integral in the into in their win over USC, but I, I also sort of think that, you know, I mean, that was maybe the only game where I would say that the run game was was the reason that they won the game, I suppose. Louisville maybe. Um he was I mean, he was pretty darn good in that one too. I don't know. I think both of the guys that you you guys named were were the two obvious choices, so it's hard for me to pick another one. Um I will say, however, that I think that uh you know, just overall, like the defense in general has just been, it's been far and away better than I thought it would be as, uh, you know, as I kind of came into the season. And, you know, I've mentioned this on podcasts before that uh, I'm, I'm fired up about this defense, to be honest with you, because, uh, because I think that, you know, this defense is going to, is obviously good this year. It's going to, it's, it's good for, it's going to be good for a really long time. And uh, I don't know. I think they're going to be able to reload because they're, I mean, they're going to good teams to me have great defensive lines and that's what makes a great defense. I think you can have all the great secondary players you want, great linebackers you want. If you don't have a great defensive line, you're not a top tier defense. 
Notre Dame, to me, has a really great defensive line to the point where teams scheme away from from their defensive line, um, which I think makes it easier on some of their other position groups, to be honest with you. So, I don't know. Uh, can I give an, a team MVP for the entire defensive line? I know they don't have the stats. I know that they, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, Aquara and Kareem aren't sacking the quarterback the way that they were last year. Well, you know, I think there's, I, I think their notoriety has something to do with that. So, I don't know. I, that, that was kind of a non-answer, but it, it's really the best I can do at this point. No, I mean, I think you're spot on, and I think your analysis about the defensive line is completely correct. I mean, we've all seen where Notre Dame has had, like, solid linebacker play and solid, you know, safety play, uh, cornerback play in the past, but they didn't have the depth and maybe the talent on the defensive line, and all of a sudden their defenses weren't that good. Um, now, maybe we can attribute some of that to, you know, Brian Van Gorder and so on and so forth. Um, but like, I mean, when you have Jalen Smith roaming around a linebacker, but you, but you have a crappy defense and that's, that's saying something, um, I don't want to get into all of these. Um, like I said, I want people to read the article and some of them are a little bit, you know, they're not as exhilarating, I guess, for a lack of a better word. Um, but one of the other ones I want to talk about would be like a breakout player. Um, you know, we can talk about guys that are newcomers and guys that are wild cards and guys that are. Um, you know, just super reliable, which I mean, I guess kind of gives away what some of the topics are. Um, but you know, every, every team has breakout players every year, whether it's a guy that hasn't had a chance and finally is a junior and he's, you know, he, he's playing well. Um, you know, if you want to maybe throw a freshman out there, you can, I, I like to stick to guys that have maybe been around for a little bit. Cause to me, that means like they're truly a breakout player per se. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give away that I get. I, I think me and Mason both picked the same guy. I might be wrong. I think may, maybe Mason picked a different player, but I picked Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, um, mostly because I just think he has flashed more than some of the other linebackers. I don't think he's necessarily been the best linebacker they've had, um, but also he wasn't the starter last year. So he, to me, and, and this I think is his third year in the program. Um, you know, he's, he's top five in the team in tackles. He's top two or three in tackles for loss. Um, and it just seems like every game he's making some plays in space that really get me excited about his future, um, for maybe the next couple of years. So, um, that's my breakout player for the year. And I think he's a big part of the reason why the defense has stayed so solid. Um, so Mason, go ahead and say yours was, I don't, I guess, I don't know if it was jock or not, but, um, I think it was another linebacker if it wasn't. Yeah, so it, I'm pretty sure it was Usu Kormoa, but somebody that I think is not going to get talked about that should is Jonathan Dorr. Um, there was a lot of kicking questions coming into the season from both the kicker position and the punting position. And, yeah, so just to not – I just don't want to say the same things you said about Usu Kormoa. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, could you be more impressed with Dorr? I mean, there, there's nothing he can't do or hasn't sh- or has shown that he can't do, and he's just been unreal for Notre Dame so far. and. A lot of people were worried about, oh, you know, Justin Yoon is awesome. He has a he has the program lead in points and everything like that. But I mean, Door has been amazing, and he <clears throat> he's not missing, and he's hitting from distance with no problem. He's hitting under pressure, and I think that's gonna be huge, especially this week when you might need him to make a clutch kick or two. So yeah, I'll say him for a breakout player of the season. Absolutely. Yeah, Sorry, this is hard to go third. Um, <laughs> uh, I think. Uh, 
I don't know. I think Jeremiah Wusikormo is the easy pick. Kyle Hamilton, if you wanted to name a freshman, although kind of like Nathan said, and I agree that, I mean, he's not really a breakout player if he wasn't on the roster last year. He's more of like falls in like <clears throat> the top newcomer kind of category. Yeah. Um, so um, just to say someone other than that, I actually, I think uh, Tariq Bracey's been pretty darn good uh, for the most part. Um, I know, you know, it's not a, I mean, he doesn't have interceptions. I mean, I think, um, you know, that one of the things that you can say about corners is, you know, if you don't hear their name a lot, well, that means that they're not thrown at him a lot. And, and so I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's played a perfect game by any, by any means, but I was impressed with him towards the end of last year. Um, you know, like I say, I love going to the game so that I can watch some more things unfold without getting motion sickness. Um, <laughs> that's my shot at NBC. Um, at NBC, get him, yeah. And for the record, I, I low-key like that cam, but like it just ends up moving so much that I end up not liking it. So anyway, uh, the, the concept is good. The execution is poor, in my opinion. But anyway, They nailed it in the Bears game. I didn't watch, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. So anyway, um, I don't know. So like I think that Tariq Bracey's been pretty darn good. I got to watch a little bit more of him um, against USC, and I think, you know, playing you know the field side as he did as he's done all year he he's been pretty good I mean I think I remember one particular instance where he got beat down the sideline on a jump ball but you know that happens to to every good corner at some point I mean you're going to get matched up on a good receiver if you're playing USC so I mean I I just think he's been really good I think he's been a guy that people just don't talk about which is kind of why I'm trying to talk about him um, so he's my pick and, you know, if I was going to name somebody else, it would be Hamilton. But like I say, I, I told you why I didn't, didn't go with him. So I don't know. That's who I'll go with. Yeah, no, I really like both those picks. I mean, I think, I mean, we, we don't win the USC game from a final score perspective. If Jonathan door doesn't hit some, some clutch kicks. So right, right. Just from that perspective, I mean, he's a breakout player in my mind. And I think, I mean, what has he missed one field goal all year? Has he missed a field goal? I don't know if he has. He missed I think he had the, against... He missed some at some point. I can't remember who it was. It was and then home. he had the – yeah, no, I, you might be right. And then he had the one where, like, we all thought he missed, but he didn't or whatever. Yes. Um, but regardless, I mean, he's, I mean, he's kicking 45, 50-yarders. I mean, that against USC, I mean, that, that that's some clutch stuff. I and mean, it doesn't matter how good USC is, like you've said, this whole podcast. I mean, rivals are rivals. And, you know, you, you go out you – know, when you're in Notre Dame, you go out and kick clutch field goals against USC and Michigan, and you're going to be beloved forever. So – um, and then the Bracey one, I, I, love, I love that one too from a, a kind of like a low key perspective. I actually got in a Twitter argument the other day, kind of regarding Bracey because I was, I was sort of, well, I was sort of pumping up the, the fact that Clark Lee and some of the coaches um, on the defensive side of the ball have found, um, you know, some guys that maybe aren't crazy low rated. I mean, I think Bracey was actually a four star according to 24 7 Sports. Um, but he didn't have a crazy good offer list. And I was kind of comparing him to this other kid, Ramon Henderson, who they're after right now. And I was essentially saying that we should trust the staff because look what Bracey's turned into. Cause I think like you said, he's been pretty damn good. Um, and someone, you know, threw something out there about how, like, oh, like, what has Bracey actually done? And I'm like, I mean, what hasn't he done? I mean, like, have you heard his name called in a negative way? Cause I haven't. And he's pretty much the starter, opposite of Troy Pride. So I mean, it, I mean, whether he's getting thrown at or not, that means he's either guarding his guys or you know, or they're attacking the weak spot, and they don't think he's the weak spot. So I don't know what you want us to say about Tariq Bracey at this point. Um, I think all signs point to him being a really good corner for for them, you know, during his uh, upperclassman season. So 
um, I'm really excited about his future. Um, so, I mean, I, I think all three of those guys are, are solid picks. I think the only other guy I would have considered is Andrew White, um, considering he's a first-year starter as well. And I think he leads the, uh, uh, the team and tackles for loss at seven right now, which is pretty impressive. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, and I know Mason uh, said he had to get out of here pretty soon, um, so we'll skip the playoff talk. I think we all kind of agree on, um, you know, they, they, they have a, they're, they're going to have a difficult time making the playoffs, whether they go 11-1 and one, um, or not. So, um, and I think we all sort of agree to a certain extent on what's it going to take for them to make the playoffs. Um, but I was reading an article today on Irish Illustrated, um, and we don't have to get into the article because I think it was some premium information. But it, it got me thinking about some NFL draft prospects that are on the team. Um, and, they, you know, they mentioned guys like Cole Komet, um, you know, Julian, Julian Aquara, Khalid Kareem, Aloe Gilman, Troy Pride, Jalen Elliott, all the guys that are, you know, that are seniors or, or essentially seniors that are, that are probably gone at the end of the year. Um, they mentioned Claypool Book. Um, they also even mentioned guys like Asmar Bilal, um, and, and, and actually in a pretty glowing glowing way. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts. I know none of us are draft experts per se, um, but what do you, do you guys think that we have any first-round prospects on this team? If, if we do, who are they? Um, maybe some guys that you know, are you know, second-day guys, guys who you think might be closer to the undrafted or, or late-round picks. Um, I think you guys have probably seen my tweets on Cole Command. I pretty much named him, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ in the last, you know, couple of weeks with all my tweets about him. But um, I think he's the best tight end in the draft class if he goes out. Um, but obviously, like I said, we have guys like Aquara, Kareem, Chase Claypool that, you know, I think a lot of people like as well. So um, we'll start with Mason on this one again. Uh, like who are some of the guys you think could go early and then maybe some of the guys you think could go later or undrafted? Yeah, so obviously the first name that comes to mind is going to be Komet, and if he's not a first round pick, then I mean I don't. Then I guess I don't know what one is. Um, he's done everything he needed to do in a Notre Dame uniform, and this being his first season, being like the guy, you know, his first touchdown pat, or reception was this year, and I think I believe he's already at four. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Komet's been unreal, and I, I see him as a first round pick for. I mean, it doesn't matter if you need a tight end or not. You don't you don't pass on a guy like this. The guys like. Guys like Komet don't come around every day. He, he can block and he can catch. He's just a big, big wide receiver as well as a great blocker. So that, he's going to be on an NFL roster for the next 10 or 15 years. And then guys that fall into like that kind of second tier, um, Khalid Kareem and Julian Aquara. I think that the Aquara thing about him not putting up the stats like last year has been kind of blown out of proportion due to um, him drawing double teams and, and uh, running backs chipping him and stuff like that. So you're seeing Kareem benefit from that. So it's more of them working together than anything, you know what I mean? So Kareem is and Aquara essentially helping each other out. and without, with, That's what you want at, from your defensive ends. So, um, yeah, so I wouldn't worry so much about Aquara's stats. He's a freak athlete, and guys, or NFL scouts know that. So they're not going to necessarily look at his stats. They're going to look at his measurables and see how quick he can get to the quarterback and his quarterback hurries and all that. And they're going to see that he's he's probably a second or third round pick, probably leaning more towards second. He probably he came into the season as more likely of a first, but uh, he hasn't he hasn't been quite as great as he was last season. And then um, 
let's see. And the guys after that, uh, if Gilman decides to go, he he can play safety for in the, at the NFL level. Maybe not necessarily starting, but he can fill a gap for you. And, um, yeah, I think that's about all the guys I want to touch on. Pride hasn't been that impressive this season. But, um, yeah, I think I mean, I'll leave the rest of the guys to you. Um, I do want to touch on Komet real fast. Like, I mean, I think he's a first round talent. It's just that tight ends just generally don't go in the first round. I mean, uh, the last tight end, and I'm sure there's one since then, but I'm a Browns fan. So I think about David and Joku, um, he, uh, was taken 25th and, you know, the Browns were really up on him, I suppose. And, uh, you know, I just, like I say, I just, I don't know. I don't see necessarily a tight end going early, but then again, I don't know. So, uh, who I will touch on, um, a similar thing to what Mason said um, about Julian Okwara. I think a guy that I will go to bat for is thinking that there's a, you know, he's going to be on an NFL roster next year is Chase Claypool. And part of the reason I say that is because, first of all, he has the measurables. Uh, when you look at him run, he just he he runs with like he just runs with a power that uh, a lot of wide receivers don't have. If that kind of makes sense, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's just fun to watch. Um, and the other part of that is that he's willing and wants to play special teams. And so I think you know if you get a wide receiver like that, you can take a flyer on a wide receiver um, that has some, you know, really important measurables, but then you also get a guy that, you know, is is willing to play special teams and has been good on special teams. And, you know, in the NFL, when you're only allowed to carry 50, whatever guys, you know, you need some, some of your top players to play on special teams. And I think Claypool can do that. So I would bet that he's going to be on an NFL roster. And I think that he might end up being like a guy that's taken a little earlier than, uh, than some people think, but, um, that's, that's a guy we'll talk about. And then lastly, you know, Mason kind of threw out Troy pride. Um, I, I don't know. He hasn't been great, but I also think that, uh, you know, there's a, there's the opportunity that, you know, he's got elite speed and he's got length that makes him sort of a unique type of a cornerback in my opinion. And I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, you know, later on took, took a, um, I don't know, took a flyer on him. And even if he turns into like a safety or something, I think, uh, I mean, that might be an interesting thing, you know, kind of a la Julian Love. So um, I don't know. So uh, those are the guys that I think about just to sort of be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, real quick, just so I can touch on some of those guys as well. um, I've seen some guys that I really respect in the NFL draft industry have Aquara as a first round pick. Um, I think a lot of people just respect the fact that he's one of those guys that you put him on a team and you put him in the right situation, he's going to be a 10 to 15 sack guy just as a pure sack artist. Um, I think the college level, a lot of people overrate sacks. Um, like like Mason said, he's getting doubled and triple teamed half the time. Um, you know, the RPO system in college is, you know, is, is a lot different. Teams get the ball out super quick in college. So, like, sacks, I mean, you don't see these, like, 20-point sack or, like, these 20-sack guys um, in college. I mean, you can look around the NFL and some of these guys that are that are ultra, like, like, like the J.J. Watts of the world. Like, I, I don't know their exact stats in college, but I don't remember these guys getting, you know, 15 to 20 sacks. And they play four less games for the most part, too. So that that's obviously a factor. Um, but other than that, um, 
I mean, I'm kind of with you, Ben, on Troy Pride. I've always kind of been a Troy Pride supporter. Right now, I think he's sort of playing out of position at the boundary corner spot. I think he's he's more of a field corner guy. Um, and, and I don't think the boundary corner really utilizes what he's good at, which, like you said, is, is the, the speed factor. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is just the homer in all of us to a certain extent, but I just think a lot of these guys are going to be, whether or not they get drafted in the first, second, third, fourth, they go undrafted, whatever. Like guys like, I mean, Khalid Kareem to me is just going to be a solid NFL, NFL player. Um, I mean, to me, he doesn't seem that much worse or, or anything than a guy like Stefan to it. I mean, maybe I'm talking out of my ass there a little bit. I, I don't know, but I, I, Mason can probably attribute to this a little bit too because he's a Steelers fan. But I mean, Stephon too is a damn good player when he plays, and I, and I see a lot. I was of, say when he's healthy, you're rubbing salt in the wound on that one. Yeah, no, I've, I mean, I just see a lot of Stephon to it in Khalid Kareem's game. Maybe he's a little, he's maybe has a little bit more speed off the edge, and two, it's more of a power guy. That's um, all I was gonna say too. Yeah, I mean, but I, I see a lot of, I see a lot of kind of like that, those similarities. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think Jalen Elliott is going to tear up the combine from a, from a safety perspective in the sense of his, his measurables and, um, his 40 times, some of his agility times. I think there's going to be a team, I think, falls in love with Jalen Elliott. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a first or second round pick, but I don't see, I don't see where he goes undrafted with some of his, uh, um, like athletic ability. Um, and then, you know, and then like, like Ben said with Claypool, I mean, everybody needs a special teams guy. Claypool's really proven himself in that spot. And this year he's really turned the corner, um, at wide receiver. He's big, he's fast. He, he catches the ball well. Um, but I, but I think I agree. And I think we all agree here. I think Cole Komet in re- in reality, we wouldn't have necessarily said this at the beginning of the year, but Cole Komet is the cream of the crop, I think from just a natural, um, you know, what you look for at the tight end position in the NFL. Um, and, and, and he's big. I mean, I think I've heard some people compare him to Gronk, which would be crazy if he ended up being on the Patriots and Tom Brady's there another five years until he's like age 66 or something. <laughs> but like, if imagine Cole Komet running, running seam routes like Gronk did with, with Tom Brady throwing the ball. I mean, that'd be insane. So, um, no, I, I think there's a lot of NFL talent on this team, even for next for next year's draft, and I think it's somewhat underrated to a certain extent from the from the national media perspective right now. Um, no, other than that, guys, like I think I think that's pretty much all I had today. I don't know if you guys wanted to touch on anything else. I mean, maybe we want to throw in a Michigan prediction real quick from each of us, like a quick one. Um, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, Mason, go ahead. Yeah, so I definitely see a low-scoring game in this one. Um, I think Notre Dame maybe trails at the half, but definitely pulls away late. Um, let's see. I haven't really thought about a score yet. Let's. I'm going to go uh, 21-14 Notre Dame. Okay. Ben? Um, kind of the same thing, and Rockets back to barking in the background, so I'll keep this quick, but uh, 21-10 Notre Dame. Okay. I was thinking somewhere along the lines of, like, 24-16. to 16. Um, I think – I think uh, Notre Dame's good enough to score more than more than three touchdowns, but maybe not much more than that. And it's a road game, so yeah, no twenty. I think twenty four sixteen sounds sounds pretty good. But it looks like we all agree on the outcome. So I uh, hope hopefully we don't look like losers on uh, you know next next Sunday after the game. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's hope. So, all right. Well, uh, sounds like we've kind of uh, reached our conclusion. My dog is making it, so we're reaching our conclusion. So enjoy him barking deep <laughs> in the background. Uh, it just adds some little character to the podcast, I suppose. Um, he just, I mean, he's a Notre Dame fan himself. His name is Rocket, for crying out loud. So, um, anyway. Uh, so, listeners, thanks. Make sure you're checking us out all over the web. SlapTheSign.com. Check out all of our writings and things over there. Uh, anywhere you search under the dome or our names or whatever, you're going to find us on Twitter and all of that good stuff. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. And until next time, as always, go Irish. Go Irish.